happening. Years ago, a couple of guys broke into this big box store in a large city here in the United States. They got in and out relatively unnoticed. But what was interesting and weird is what they did while they were in the store. You see, instead of stealing anything, they changed the prices on a whole bunch of things. And these uh, pranksters took the price tags and the barcodes and kind of jumbled them all up. And uh, $395 camera uh, took that off and put it on a $5 box of stationery. And the 595 sales sticker from a paperback book went on an expensive snowblower. And so everything was just kind of jumbled up. I appreciated that. The next morning, the store opened as usual. It took them four hours to sort out uh, what had happened. And some people found some great bargains. Others were very, very confused uh, by what they were seeing. Valuable goods became cheap and some cheap stuff became suddenly very valuable. And uh, as we think about that story for a moment, uh, it reminds me that, uh, in fact, uh, Jesus has changed the price tags on us. He has switched the prices on a whole lot of things as we look at life and what's truly important about life. And so with his hillside teaching, Jesus would literally turn the world upside down and inside out. And I welcome you again this morning to our latest installment of Mountaineering with the Master as we look into that passage of Scripture referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And again, uh, this morning, Jesus is looking for some upperly mobile climbing companions to travel with him. And here, again, is the Word of God. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving in a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And we want to hear again the things that Jesus taught. As his public ministry is now introduced, what were the first things that Jesus said? What were the most important priorities as he began to teach the multitudes? And they're recorded for us in this passage of Scripture. I believe what Jesus said first is of extreme importance. And so we've started this journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Over these last two weeks, Pastor Michael has taught us some uh, key concepts from the first of what we call the Beatitudes, and we've already explained what that word means. Uh, He was teaching us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these are very, very important words. This is the first Beatitude Pastor Michael shared with us. And I believe that our ascent into the kingdom of God, that is our destination, begins when we embrace our spiritual poverty and our desperate need. For Christ, When we come to an understanding that uh, no matter what I have or what I've acquired or what I dream of, I am spiritually impoverished. And if I want any piece of the kingdom of heaven, uh, I have to have a desperate need for a relationship with God. And Jesus taught us uh, what it means to have a relationship with God and what that relationship with God looks like in very practical terms. That is then the Sermon on the Mount. So, are you ready to climb a little bit higher? Ready to climb again? Uh, Here we go. 
For the next two weeks, we'll examine the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These words are almost too familiar to us. That's why we want to take the time to break them down. What is Jesus saying here as he begins teaching about what is important in life, the kingdom of heaven? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's so much in there. We could take a whole lot longer than two weeks, but I'm going to try to control myself, all right? So Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus came that the Savior of the world would be, as he described, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. In Isaiah 53, he said that this Savior, this coming one, the suffering servant of God would be, in fact, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with deepest grief. Was he? Yeah. He really, really was. Let me give you a couple of profound examples from the Gospels. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Many of us have memorized that, that very short verse. Jesus wept right? Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Now Mary and Martha and Lazarus were some of Jesus' closest friends. He was a frequent guest in their home. And his friend Lazarus died. He died. And even though he knew he would raise Lazarus back to life, he was still overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with emotion that he began to cry. Jesus wept. Okay, that's where we are. Interesting Greek words are used in this passage. If we look at John 11, we read this in verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping with the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, the word translated weeping in verse 33 is a different word than is translated Jesus wept in 11.35, just two verses later. This is where Greek can actually help us in, in understanding what this means. The word translated weeping is klio here in John 11.33. And that means uh, to weep loudly. It is demonstrative. It's to wail. It's just to kind of let it all out there. And now, let me just say this about that. People laugh differently. Some of you laugh like, <laughs> some of you laugh, <laughs> right? People also cry differently. There's some folk here who just kind of let it all out. There's some folk here who you don't even know they're weeping, but they are. And so there's all kinds of demonstrations uh, that we could look at about how people cry differently. We're going to talk more about that next week. But in 1135, the word dakro is used of Jesus. Jesus wept. Different word than used two verses earlier. I think this is significant. This word means quiet anguish. It means silent tears. So when Jesus wept, it wasn't this demonstrative kind of wailing. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is found. It's unique to Jesus. Jesus wept. Very different weeping than he had just come upon two verses earlier with Mary and the other Jews just lamenting over the loss of Lazarus. Jesus 
troubled in his soul, quiet anguish, silent tears. Now understand, Jesus wailed. He cloud. When he rode in in Jerusalem in Luke 19, 41, he looks over the city and he begins to wail for the lostness and the desperate need that the Jewish people had for a savior. And they were rejecting him. He would then go to the cross from that moment. He was wailing. But in this moment, Jesus wept. And the word refers to this, this idea of this silent cry that, that God only can understand. Jesus teaches us by his example that it's okay to grieve, it's okay to cry. He cries with us, he cries over us. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. Now, in Matthew 14, 13, we're told that when Jesus heard the news that John, his cousin and his friend, died, he gets on a boat and he goes off to a solitary place. Now, you know the story of John the Baptist is recorded in Matthew 14. He died a terrible death, beheaded by Herod. After John's disciples took care of burying the body, they went to tell Jesus, and there they find Jesus, and he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. Jesus wanted to spend some time alone praying, and often that's the response when we take a really hard hit, a severe loss. We just want to be alone. Just give me some space here. Let me sort this thing out. It's so overwhelming in this moment. And there Jesus just said, ah, I got to get out of here. Man, this one hurts. This one really, really hurts. Now, Jesus spending time alone praying because he understands that losing someone we love really hurts. Grief often takes over. And like an unwelcome weed in the center of our garden begins to choke the life out of our soul. Blessed are those who mourn. And so when this hits us, this, this loss that comes from life just presses down on us. Our emotions either go numb or they go all over the place depending on your personality. Tears don't or won't seem to stop. We want to be by ourselves. We begin to isolate. We begin to pull in. We begin to retreat. And losing a family member or friend is a very personal, it's a very emotional, it's a very intimate kind of experience. Just ask Jesus. He was the man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. Now, let me just contrast this for a moment. Did you know that there is no recorded place in Scripture, no recorded place in Scripture of Jesus either smiling or laughing. Now, I don't know what your perception of Jesus is, but I do know this. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. Now, that's not to say Jesus didn't laugh and horse around and smile, but the Bible never records Jesus either smiling or laughing. Now, why does the Bible say he got angry? Why does the Bible say he wept? Why does the Bible say he got frustrated? Why does the Bible say he got tired? Why doesn't the Bible say that Jesus ever laughed? But we like fun and happy and joking around Jesus much better, don't we? We like this version of Jesus. This is cool. Jesus is cool. We got you, right? And these pictures of Jesus laughing, good old, having a great time, Jesus. We like this Jesus. Oh, yeah, baby. 
Yeah, baby. <laughs> we like judgment-free version of Jesus much better. Come, yeah, we're going to have a great time, right? We want the Jesus of prosperity. We want the Jesus of plenty. We want the Jesus of peace. And that he is. That he is. He is all of that. And he is more than that. But we know that life isn't always like that. Is it? And we want this to be a real place. When we come together as the body of Christ. Because that Jesus of prosperity. That Jesus of peace. Oh yeah, he's very real. And that's who he is. But understand, Scripture pictures him as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. He is there in those moments of our loss that we don't like to talk about because we like this version of Jesus a whole lot better. But all around you, all around you right now are people who are mourning because we've all lost something or someone precious to us. And that's the reality of life. And that's where Jesus chooses to meet us in very, very profound kinds of way. Something's been lost. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relationship. And you're mourning, you're grieving over that. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's innocence. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's peace. The point is this, that those who choose to climb with Jesus will experience deep grief. Those who choose to live for the devil will experience the deepest of grief and sorrow and loss. Now, there's nine different Greek words for sorrow. Here again, Greek can help us because they're all translated in English in just a couple of our words. There are nine Greek words used for sorrow in the New Testament just to show us how common this experience of mourning and sorrow and grieving truly is in life. And there are people in this room right now who are weighed down, tied up, held captive by sorrow, by disappointment, by tragedy, by failure, by the sense of loss that we're feeling even though on the outside everything is fine. Really? Huh. Huh. And in fact, this loss has begun to define who we are. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm saying, come on, let's climb. Let's listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Climb with me just a little higher. You see, we've talked about how each beatitude is a paradox. The paradox here is quite obvious. He's saying the sad are happy, the grieving are blessed. Huh. Imagine being in the original crowd who first heard these words from Jesus. This is really, really bizarre stuff, folks. What are you saying? What are you saying, Jesus? What are you saying? And he would say it again. Here's how he put it in Luke 6.25. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning in sorrow. Hey, it's a good time, Jesus. Good time, Jesus. Where's all the joy? I prefer this version, Jesus, right? Yeah, happy woo <laughs> Yeah, uh, But life isn't always like that, is it? Is it? There are times, yeah. But Jesus is warning us. 
Because in his very core, in his very nature, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. He understood life. So what is he saying? The happy are the sad? What? The contented are those who have lost? What? What is this stuff that he's teaching us here? Losing someone or something close to us is one of the most painful and, yes, one of the most common experiences that we all share. We're all going to experience loss, all of us. Now, most people experience normal grief when there's a loss. And there's this period of deep sorrow. Life rocks us. It hits us. There's this numbness. There's even some guilt and some anger, right? We lost something. Gradually, these feelings ease, and slowly we accept the loss. Slowly, we begin to move forward, and that's good. Does time heal? Yeah, it's a factor in the process of of God restoring and comforting us. We'll look more at that last week, or next week. But, But the point is this. If we're grieving normally, there'll be a point where which we pick it up and we move forward. We take the loss, we assimilate it, and we move on. But for some people, feelings of loss are so absolutely crushing and debilitating that they don't improve with the passing of time. Then we have to take a different look at this. This is known as complicated grief. And what I'm saying is normal grief symptoms, when we take a loss, should begin to fade over time. But for those with complicated grief, just the opposite happens. They not only linger, things tend to get worse in our lives. And it begins to pull us down. And this loss that we've experienced might be 20 years ago. Might be 40 years ago. Might be yesterday. It doesn't make any difference. But these things are so intense that it actually begins to pull us back and down. This is known as complicated grief. Complicated grief may include, this isn't on the screen, but it's in your notes. There may be intense sorrow and pain. Reflection over the loss. What's really happened here? What's going on? There's focus on little else but your loved one's death or the loss that you've experienced. There's intense and persistent longing or infatuation for the deceased. And then we run into problems accepting the loss. Huh. Numbness, detachment. I just want to be by myself. Just leave me alone. There's bitterness that begins to creep in and feelings that life really doesn't have much purpose without this person in it. Or this situation. There's a lack of trust then in others. There's an inability to enjoy life or think back on positive experiences. All the good times that we once had. Now it's all about this. It's the gloom and darkness of death and grief. And so that means then there's this inability to carry out normal life routines. We begin to isolate Some get depressed, there's deep sadness, there's guilt, self-blame. We beat ourselves up. Shouldn't we have done something differently in this scenario? Some believe that you did something wrong, that somehow you could have prevented this loss. And we're ridden with guilt. Uh, Some feel that life isn't worth living without this person in it. And we literally wish we were dead. So we can either be with them, Or handle the pain. And life is like that. And I'm not just talking about death of a person. I'm talking about the death of a dream. The death of a relationship. A loss that's been suffered. Now, if this list kind of hits home with you, it may be time to get some help. You see, going on four decades in ministry, I, I don't think 
we as Christians grieve well. I don't think we know how to do this. And often it goes like this. There may be a sudden and tragic death of someone on a Monday and the funeral's on Thursday. And by the next Sunday, we're supposed to have it all together because they're in a better place. Isn't that selfish of you to feel like that? They're in such a better place now. I'm saying that's rubbish. That's garbage. We're living in some kind of weird state of denial. Jesus wept. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. He let it just flood over him. And then he turns around and he teaches, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're going to talk more about this next week. But as a church, we're not going to play that game. You know what? If you've experienced a loss on Monday and they're in a better place and can't you move forward, it's time to get on. They wouldn't want you acting like this. They'd want you to be happy. They'd want you to get on with life. Would you stop the rubbish? I get really tired of it. I do. I get sick of hearing that kind of stuff. It hurts. Why don't we just embrace that for a moment? Because Jesus certainly did, didn't he? A man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. And that's where he meets us in these profound ways. He's not telling you, suck it up and get over it, buttercup. Get on with life. He's not saying that at all. He's sitting down beside you, weeping. He's laying in your bed beside you, counting the tears that are coming out of you. He understands loss. He gets it. Let people grieve. Paul said this, weep with those who weep. That's the word clio. That's the big... We don't like that. It's so uncomfortable in our culture. So uncomfortable. People cry. We get a little like, oh, man, this is weird. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Except weep with those who weep. Jesus entered into our pain. Paul's saying we ought to enter into each other's pain. Weep with those who weep. You see, the story of our lives, I believe, is often measured in tears. And we like to pretend we got it all together and life is great and it's joyful and it's all this stuff. But for many of us, the story of our lives is measured by tears. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Now, of the nine different words we talked about used for mourning or sorrow, this one, pentheo, this is the strongest word. Strongest word he could have used in this context. It comes from deep down in the heart. This word was usually reserved for a devastating loss in our life. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, out of the nine words that he could have selected, he takes the one that's the strongest. Happy contented, at peace, are those who mourn. Yet this mourning is not limited by death, but measured by loss. So I'm asking, what loss are you mourning this morning? What loss are you mourning this morning? 
as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts? Is it a relationship, a marriage, child, health, a dream, hope? Maybe this morning you're mourning over your separation from God. That's a good thing to be mourning over. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, this word expresses the profound inner agony that all of us can identify with over this loss that has just crushed us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Except, yes, embrace the grief. Embrace the sorrow. Embrace the mourning. Accept it. Don't fight it. Don't deny it. Don't wall yourself off from other people. Don't try to kill these feelings uh, of grief that are so uncomfortable with drugs or alcohol or risky behavior or all the other stupid stuff that we do because we can't handle the pain that's in us over this loss. We don't run from it. We don't try to ignore it or deny it. What if we'd embraced it? Hmm. Acknowledge the pain is a part of the journey of life. It's a part of the journey of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Jesus immediately got the attention of everybody that he was speaking to because they all understood what loss was all about. And he chose the strongest word that he could. And these folk immediately identified, Jesus, you get it. You're speaking right to my heart now. Wow. Wow. This is actually a blessed pain. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. It means that we're a healthy individual. It means that we have relationships that actually mean something. It means that we've taken a risk and actually love something or someone completely. We've taken that risk. And if we take that risk to love like that, it's going to lead us to some deep grief. You get the picture? We want to live out here on the extremes, not here in the center lane where it's so numb and safe and nice. But to live it the way Jesus wants us to live it, radically. To love deeply the way that God loves you and me. And you know what? That's going to lead to some feelings of profound pain and loss. Now next week, we're going to look at the other side of this beatitude. For they will be comforted. And understand that Jesus' climbing companions will be overcomers, contented not because they are mourners. That's not the the end of the story. We all mourn, but because we're comforted by the God of all comfort, who encourages us then to comfort others. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. You know, grief has a weird way of bringing people together. It does. To love each other even more deeply. So while love will eventually lead to grief, it turns out that grief and mourning lead to more love. Huh. God has designed us so that we will experience real joy in the presence of our loved ones. He wants us to have an abundant life that's full and rich and meaningful. He wants that for us. But he also understands there's going to be some very real grief, some really painful grief when we're separated from those things he was a man of sorrows well acquainted with the deepest grief he's also designed us to receive comfort 
when that separation and that loss is all too real and he binds up the brokenhearted and he brings his comfort. Next week I want to make the application from the loss. Blessed are those who mourn to the promise of they will be comforted. It's a journey. It's a journey. Sometimes it's painful. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with the deepest grief. Sorry, this isn't one of those light, hey, love you, Jesus, kind of messages. But there's nothing in these Beatitudes that's light and fluffy. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Gee, I got done early. That's nice. Anybody got a question or comment? Look over your notes, understanding everything there. But beyond looking over your notes, understanding that God who loves you has identified with that sense of loss. And he's coming with comfort. And may the God of all comfort comfort you. We'll look at it next week. Thoughts or questions? Yes, Chloe. How do you comfort those who are mourning? How do you comfort those who are mourning? I think that's a great question. Uh, we are going to look at that next week, so stay tuned. Um, <laughs> Okay, let, let me just give you a little preview. Uh, Greg and Beige are going to share next week about the loss of their son. And I've asked them to be brutally honest about some things that we as Christians say to each other that are really not helpful. Beige, sorry to... Uh, uh, now, now, when Greg and Beige share this kind of thing, they're not being mean-spirited. But someone who is grieving right now, there's some things that we as Christians say to each other that are, are almost flippant. And I'm talking about even throwing Bible verses in people's faces, thinking somehow that's going to comfort. And none, don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? The Word of God is extremely important, and the Word of God can bring comfort. But oftentimes we say some things that are just not helpful. But the question that Chloe's asking, I think it's profound. What do we do or not do or say or not say that actually can make a difference in those moments of loss? I'm looking forward to what they have to say next week. I think it's going to be good. Because I think that's a great, great question. Thank you, Chloe. Uh, what, what I can say this about that, because the message is already done, is that we are commanded commanded that if we've received comfort from God, we have to comfort others. Otherwise, we've lost the whole purpose of the grief and comfort idea. And I'll say it now. Oh, man, I don't want to preach it. It's almost time I could get it over with, but I won't. Um, that there are some people who have been comforted by God, and you're sitting on that comfort. 
And I say, we got to do better. We've got to let that comfort that you've received out to others so that they too can be comforted by the same comfort that we've received. So we're not going to sit on it. We're going to share that story and that pain and that sorrow so we can help somebody else. Because I don't know about you, but I, I want to help others through that in that process. That, and I don't care what the loss is. But great question. Good. Anybody else? Good.